Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It, is, it has to be one of my favorite passages of, uh, of the Bible, especially when it comes to Mother's Day. I just love this passage, and uh, I mean, like you, I'm sure that your mother, your grandmother had a great impact on you. And I also acknowledge, though, this morning, as I think about Mother's Day, maybe that's not the case with you. And I'm not sure where you find yourself on this Mother's Day. Uh, but I know uh, for myself personally, my mother, I didn't know my grandmothers all that well. In fact, the one I never met, and the other one I knew just very short, hardly remember. They, they, they had a big impact. And then after my mother passed, and even before, but especially, I had the best mother-in-law in the world. And her and I, I can remember the wisdom that she taught me, the wisdom that she had with me as we would often have, she was also an early morning person, and we would have early morning coffee, and the conversations that I had with Cheryl's mother uh, are priceless. And so mothers have a huge impact on, on each and every one of our lives, I'm sure. And so this morning, we want to look at that just a little bit. It's a passage I love from Mother's Day, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can open the Pew Bible to 995. And I'll just be reading, in fact, I'll probably just start from verse 1 to verse 7. I want to read these this morning for you. And God's inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And Father, now I ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And Lord, as we look to it for inspiration, as we look to it for direction, as an example, as we look to it for application, as we look to it for encouragement, especially on this Mother's Day, but Lord, especially for, for mothers and grandmothers and all those who find themselves in a mothering position or place here this morning. Father, what a role they play, the priceless role, a role that is often um, not fully recognized, a, a role that is, is minimized and diminished by this culture of today. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, as we look at these words of yours, um, that they would elevate mothers and those who are mothering, Lord, into the position of honor that you have yourself have placed them in. And so, Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have simply titled this this morning, Mothers Are Superheroes. When we think of superheroes, now I don't know about you, and I know some of you guys, and some of you girls, some of you all, um, you like superhero movies, I guess they are, or Marvel. My daughters love Marvel movies, and and it's a great time when I'm forced to watch them because the lights are off and I get a great nap while they watch the movie. So it works out great. Um, but you may like them. And, and when you think of superheroes, who doesn't have a few superheroes? Or who doesn't want superheroes? Or who doesn't want to be a superhero? 
But when we look at mothers, I can think of no greater superhero than mothers. I mean, many mothers, many of you find yourself in a way of trying to work outside the home, working inside the home, raising your children. And uh, I know that it's taxing, and I know that you don't always feel like superheroes, but I, I, I cannot stress it enough. Mothers indeed are superheroes. And I want, to, um, I want you to get that this morning. If you are a mother here this morning, you indeed are a superhero. It's the hand that rocks the cradle, as they say, right, rules the world. And that is indeed the case. Don't ever give up the cradle. And so in this text here that I just read, it appears as though uh, the point that Paul is trying to make to Timothy is that he is encouraged. Paul wants Timothy to be encouraged, and Paul wants Timothy to take action. Paul, or t- Paul wants Timothy to overcome his timidity. Paul is finding himself in a position, and Timothy is finding themsel- himself in a position where it's going to be a moment, it's going to be a time in life where great encouragement, where great courage, where spine is, is needed, where strong decisions are needing to be made, and strong leaders must step forward, and Paul wants to encourage Timothy in this area. Timothy, Timothy has a spirit of timidity that he's going to have to get over. He's going to have to get over it if he's going to take the baton that Paul is passing on to him. Timidity is simply being a state of fear or a lack of courage, a lack of mental strength, maybe lacking initiative, maybe lacking the desire or the need or the will or the ability to take the step forward, to lead, to be the man that Timothy must be. Now, who among us at times doesn't find ourselves in a place where we need to be encouraged? At times, we find ourselves also in places or in a time of fear, of uncertainty, of unknown things. Unknown and, un- and, and fear can, cer- <clears throat> can certainly be a recipe for us to lack courage, for us to lack initiative, for us to not do the right thing, for us to maybe be questioning our core beliefs. This is where Timothy finds himself this morning. His mentor the Apostle Paul, finds himself in prison once again. And it seems obvious to all that Paul will not survive the year. The pillar of the community, arguably the the greatest Christian who has ever lived, one who has written most of the New Testament and planted most of the New Testament churches, this man is going to find find himself in prison once again. And this time, It does not look good for Paul. It looks as as though the decision is going to come down against Paul in a way that will end his life. You see, the emperor Nero has declared Christianity illegal. This is in the mid-60s. And Nero is ruling. He was a harsh ruler, a harsh emperor. And he came down, especially after Rome burnt and, and blamed it upon the Christian people. And he made Christianity illegal. You could not be a Christian in Rome. You could not be a Christian under the emperor Nero's rule. And Paul finds himself at the top of the list of Nero's most wanted terror list. This is the context in which Paul writes his final letter to his spiritual son. Indeed, these are the final words Timothy will hear or hear read to, or read himself from his spiritual father, from somebody who took Timothy under his wing, 
from somebody who trained Timothy, from somebody who discipled Timothy. It is this man that is, Timothy is now hearing from for the last time. Within days or weeks of this letter being written, Paul is beheaded under the orders of Emperor Nero. Just weeks before, Peter was crucified upside down by this same emperor. And now, and now the baton has passed to Timothy. It's as though Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, the churches in Asia are now yours. They are under your control. You are in charge of these churches. What a quagmire Timothy finds himself in. What a position Timothy finds himself in. This is now a time that Timothy, as we call it, I don't know who we is, but as I've heard it said, now is the time to sink or swim. Now is time for Timothy to have a spine. Now is time for Timothy to stand up and do the right thing no matter the cost. He already seen Peter crucified. He already seen Paul beheaded. Now it is Timothy's turn. That's the context that Timothy finds himself in. And I'm not sure we always think these contexts through as we read these letters and these words of encouragement. Now, I don't know that you or I this morning, I don't know, don't think so, that we're in fear of losing our head, that we're in fear of being crucified, that we're in fear of being seen praying out loud or witnessing for our faith, that we find ourselves in this position. And yet maybe, maybe it feels as though your boss wants to behead you. Maybe it feels as though the world has turned upside down. And maybe indeed to you, your world has turned upside down. Life has thrown you a curveball. Life has treated you unfairly. Everyone is being mean to you, right? I hope not, but I think we can relate to that a little bit, that sometimes we find ourselves in a place of great discouragement, in a place where we need encouragement, in a place where we too need someone to come alongside of us, a place where we just, we know the right answers. We know what we need to do, but we need someone to tell us. We need someone to speak a word of encouragement to us. Who is that? Is that your father or is that your mother? I don't know about your father or your mother, but I know for myself it was indeed and most certainly it was my mother in those positions. And I suspect for our girls, Jessica and Courtney, it was the same for them. In fact, it's interesting. um, I don't know if it's interesting, but... um, it crossed my mind this morning just now, actually, as I think about when Courtney just recently had to, and she's not here, so I can use her for an example, um, but, but when she was making this decision of moving from Philadelphia to, to Ohio to take, a, to take on another job in a higher role, in a more difficult role, in a, in a role where she's actually working for, working for the state's attorney for Ohio and in a different position as she's there in that crime lab, and she's like, do I take this job? Don't I take this job? And she would call me and, 
and I'm kind of an analytical thinker, somewhat like her, and, and we would go through the steps, and it was all the right decisions that needed to be made, and she would walk through those, and she would hang up after a long conversation. I'm like, why did we talk? Her mind is like my mind, except hers is better. And, and, and she knows these things, but then she would call her mom. And I don't know, I could only hear one side of that conversation, but I'm quite certain how that conversation went. And it was not at all like mine. It was where she was getting those words of reassurance. She was getting those pats on the back, and she was saying, Courtney, I believe in you. I'm sure that's how it went. But that's what mothers, that's the control. That's what mothers do in our lives. They lead from the heart. They lead from this emotional position, this place that does wonders for men and women whose we knees may be weak. The strength and the encouragement that, moms, you give your children just with that heartfelt encouragement. Don't ever undermine the position you have in the lives of your children. That's what Paul is now going to do. Paul points first to the faith of his forefathers, which are also the forefathers of Timothy. And then next, he's going to point Timothy to the faith of his grandmother and also to his mother. And he starts out with, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. And the forefathers here, obviously, that Paul is mentioning are also Timothy's forefathers. They're also our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, they also had mothers. Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. It tells us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God gave specific roles for men and women. God set an order, and God set direction, and God set purpose for both the man and the woman, and just seems appropriate, maybe not appropriate. But mothers are indeed mothers, not birthing people. God set up an order, and here we see it in Genesis, that there are men that they are women, they are fathers, and they are mothers, and each have a specific role. And embrace the role that God has given you to play. We see it right from the beginning of our scriptures that God set an order. He made them male and female. He made them mothers, and he made them fathers. And when we read stories of Isaac, not only read stories about the influence that Abraham had on Isaac, but we also read about the influence that his mother Sarah had on Isaac. And the same goes for for, uh, Jacob. The same goes for Isaac. We could follow down through and we could look at the stories and the examples that each one of them had. But also, as we look at the four mothers, as we look at the mothers of, of these, we see that, Sarah didn't always make the right decision either, did she? Sarah made some choices that she would live to regret, I'm sure. 
Rebecca also, to a fault, favored one son over another. And just like our fathers, mothers are not perfect either. And we learn from the strengths and the faults of our mothers and our fathers. Superhero moms are not perfect moms. Superhero moms are, are not your best friend, but your strongest advocate. Superhero moms are the ones who speak into your life, not necessarily just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, what you must hear. We also see then next, Paul turns to his grandmother and mother. I love this picture. I was raised in a house full of women, so maybe that's why I just love this passage so much. But the strength that I see in women here, Paul also sees. And this is who he points Timothy to. Remember the context I just gave you. And Paul does not point to some strong men. I'm sure he did, but that's not recorded for us. What God chose to record for us was Paul pointing to Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother at a time where Timothy needed to step up and be strong and face a ruler like Nero. Paul points Timothy to his mother and to his grandmother. And the first thing that he says in verse 5, he says, I am very mindful of the sincere faith that is in you. Sincere faith is a genuine faith. It is not a faith that is for show if you were going to look up uh, in a lexicon the different meanings for the word sincere in the Greek. It's, it's not for show. It's not a facade. It's not a pretend. It's genuine. It is a genuine. It is a sincere faith. Timothy has a huge responsibility ahead of him. And if his faith is not sincere, if his faith is not genuine, he will indeed not stand the test of time, not stand for what is ahead of him. In Paul's letter to, to, to Timothy, he writes in first, his first letter to Timothy, the first time or one of the other times that he was in prison, he writes to Timothy there. He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, in this verse, what you, what you need to see here is what Paul is telling Timothy. is that you need more than a pure heart. You need more than a good conscience. You need more than well intentions. You need more than a faith based on feelings. You need a genuine faith. You need a sincere faith. You need a faith that will hold up when Nero comes after you. You need a faith that will hold up when life comes after you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, there Paul has this to say for Timothy. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, knowing whom you have learned them from. Who do you think Timothy learned from? Timothy learned from his father. 
in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. We see there that Paul, when he came to Derbe, and then on to Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, what, what Paul is not or what Luke is recording in Acts for us and why he's recording this is not that the different ethnicities, that one was a Jew and one was a Greek. No, what we must understand is one was a believer and one was an unbeliever. Timothy's father was an unbeliever. I'm sure Timothy's father was a good man. I'm sure he was a great man. I'm sure he was a hardworking man and a, and a good father. But he was an unbeliever. He was not a believer. And so, moms, how can we not make application here? I don't know where you find yourself at this morning. I certainly hope that alongside you and from what I know and from what I see, that's generally the case, right? But moms, you must step up if the husband does not and train your children and train your child. This is what Timothy's mother has done right here. A couple verses later, it tells us, Paul continues in 2 Timothy 3, 16. He says that all Scripture is for teaching, is for proof, is for correction, is for training. It is to equip. Because he said just earlier in verse 13 that imposters will come in. Imposters will come in, and they will deceive, and it will go from bad to worse and being deceived. Timothy Listen what your mother and what your grandmother has taught you. And look where it came from. Look where they got it from. Mothers and grandmothers, your children and your grandchildren, they need more than just Bible stories. They need more than nice little cute stories about David and Goliath, which is usually taken out of context. But they need more than Daniel in the lion's den. They need to know. That the Bible isn't just a book about stories. The Bible is what leads to salvation. The Bible is what leads to eternal life. Your children and your grandchildren don't just need cute Bible stories. They need to know the truth that is taught within the Scriptures. And that when life does throw them a curveball, it is upon these they can stand strong. Having the complete Bible memorized, though we always encourage Bible memorization, doesn't make you a Christian or save anyone. It's believing the contents of that memorization. And so, mothers, your first responsibility is first and foremost to God. And if you are a mother this morning, your greatest responsibility that God has given you is to raise your children. Not raise your children to be good workers, though that's part of it, not raise your children to be the smartest in their class, though that may be part of it. Not raise your children to be good doctors and lawyers and farmers and poultry producers and everything else you want to put in there, though that's part of it. Your first and foremost responsibility is to raise your children to fear God, to trust God, to believe in God. That is your first responsibility. And then your second responsibility after that is to do whatever it is that you do, which is much. If it's working outside the home, it's working inside the home, whatever that may be. That is secondary to pointing your children and teaching your children about Christ. And mothers, you do need to plug into a local church. 
and you need to attend. You need to be involved and demonstrate and model for your children what's important to you. Mothers and grandmothers, your children are watching. Your children are watching. You know, the few funerals that I have done more than I care to, to recall here and elsewhere. You know, as you sit with a family, it's amazing the stories that you hear in those raw moments. And it's the model of the mother and the grandmother that I hear most often. What's important to you, your children will know. What's important to you, your children will appreciate and they will model. They need to know, Mom. They need to know, Grandma, that God, that Jesus, that the Scriptures are important to you. They need to know that everything else is secondary. And they need to know, and they will see, how you use your time, what's most important to you. They will know. There's no greater calling to motherhood than to teach your children and to point your children to Jesus. You know, we're told today, and I don't think it's just today, I think it always has been and always will be, you know, the advertisers, they go after, especially moms, maybe, and they want to tell you, and the YouTube and the social media influencers, they want to tell you that they can have it all. Number one, if you're getting it off of social media, half of it's false. I mean, just we know that, but yet we fall for it every time. The pictures and the stories that we read, that's what they want us to see, not how it really is. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. You cannot have it all. You must choose what's best. You know, I think about this in the context of much, much of life. I think about it in the context of a church. As a church, there's many things that we can do. There's many good things that we can do, but there's only so much that we can do. Let's choose the best. Mothers, it's the same for you. There's so many good and great things that you can do. Choose what's best, not by what social media has shown or, or your best friend, what's best for them. No, what's best for you, for your kids, and for your family. Many good things are available to each and every one of us. And men, this goes for us too. We must choose the best. Timothy did not have a believing father, but he had a believing grandmother, and he had a believing mother. And it is these that Timothy, or that Paul points Timothy to here. And in verse 6, verse 6 of our, our passage here, he says, for this reason I remind you. He points them to his grandmother, and he points them to his mother. He says, for this reason, in verse 6, I remind you, to kindle afresh, to cause to begin again, to keep alive the faith. And to begin again is not meaning in any sense of the word, uh, not at all that, that Timothy has ever lost his faith or, or fallen away. That's not what the sense of the meaning here is. It's to begin again. It's to once again be encouraged. Maybe Timothy got a little bit of lax in his faith. Maybe Timothy got a little bit of... Uh, um, passive in his faith with Christ or in his work in the church or whatever it might have been. And, Tim, and Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, it is going to be now time for you to step up. You must know what you believe and why you believe it. Rekindle, kindle afresh the faith that is in you. I think, too, we from time to time need that also, do we not? 
Once again, we need to be reminded what's most important. And I might also interject this, which you already know also. I hear the stories often also when a person's relationship with Christ kind of hits a new peak, if you will, with I think all of our lives can be highs and lows. And as it hits a new peak, it often comes from a time of trouble, a time of difficulty. It is in those peak times that we, we turn to Christ. Not that we've ever left, but that we need to have our faith kindled again. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that a true Christian is a new creation, not just an improvement of what was. 1 Peter 1 says a true Christian has been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. The word redeemed means to be purchased. You have been purchased. Ephesians 1 tells us that a true Christian has been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate the true Christian from the love of Christ. We must remember that. And moms, maybe for you also, maybe that's a word for you this morning too as you walk with your child, with your grandchildren, with children as they leave the house as ours has and maybe yours has. And as you wonder and you question and you look at some of the choices and where they find themselves in life. These couple verses here that are in your notes, take those to heart and realize that though our children from time to time may go away that we care for them not to go, take heart though. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have completely left the faith. Their faith may need to be kindled afresh as Timothy's did to be done here. Moms, don't be afraid to speak into your sons and daughters' lives carefully, with wisdom, when you see our adult children going away that they should not be going. Paul is reminding Timothy when he tells him to rekindle his faith. It's really a word of encouragement. You can't live on the faith of our godly mothers and grandparents and fathers for that matter, but we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by what they have done and what they have modeled for us. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, Paul, writing there to Titus, says this, For women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Here's why. So that they may encourage the young women love their husbands, to love their children. We often will think that young is best. Young knows best. The Bible tells us that the older should lead and model the younger. Older mothers, model, disciple, walk alongside the young mothers. Don't listen to what the culture says. Years lived cannot be traded in wisdom. I'm not talking about the intelligence of the youth. I'm talking about wisdom. Because I don't know about you, but I think every generation is getting smarter than the last. I do believe that. But there's something about wisdom from years lived that you cannot get out of a book. It only comes through lived experience. And you mothers who, and grandmothers who wonder what kind of influence that you still have, that's it right here. Model, demonstrate, come alongside the young mothers and demonstrate for them. 
Mothers, you need to embrace biblical womanhood. Don't be deceived by the progressive culture that wants to redefine biblical womanhood. It will lead you astray. There is no fast track to experience. Lean in on those older ladies around us. Ask them. Befriend them. Model them. Take encouragement from them. And for the young mothers, Timothy was also told, and I think it can apply for you, let no one look down on your youthfulness. You're the best mom, no matter what your age is, because God has blessed you with a child. It doesn't matter your age. Lean into youthfulness wherever you find yourself in life. And also, on this Mother's Day, Proverbs 22.6. I've heard this verse so many times in question form. Train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And mothers and fathers also, but mothers can lament that verse and wonder, where did they go wrong? We understand it to be telling us that if we teach them, they will not depart from it. But, but what Proverbs is teaching is that it, what you have taught them, will not depart from them. That's your part. That's your role. I could do group therapy again this morning and recount the times where the things that my mom has taught me when I was very much on the edge, the edge of no turning back. And yet what my mother taught me kept me, kept me in line, kept me to do the right thing. See, this is the only responsibility you have, is to teach your children, to train your children. What they do with it is on God. God doesn't ask that from you. God just asks you to train. Proverbs 31.30, maybe a, a proverb that is preached in many churches this morning on Mother's Day. I'm not sure. I don't really care for it all that much on Mother's Day. But I do want to read the one verse there. And that is this, and I will close with this. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Father, I ask a blessing this morning on your word, on your scripture, on mothers. Father, the world wants to define what a mother looks like what the mother should be like. Father, it is you who gives definition to motherhood. I pray, Lord, this morning for each and every mother here this morning. Lord, especially for those young mothers who might feel the pressure to live up to whatever standard culture says they should be living up to. I pray, Lord, that you would guard their hearts and their minds. I pray, Lord, that an older mother may come alongside them and that they would receive the discipleship, that they receive the mentorship that so many already do here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to protect the family, that you would continue to stress that a family is made up of two, a mother and a father. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give mothers courage to speak words, no matter if they're hard words or not, into the lives of their children. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to know how to deliver 
those messages that they would prefer maybe not to give to their children. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the wisdom to know when they need a word of encouragement, when they need a word of a correction. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them strength. Lord, we cannot, the world cannot, we cannot function without mothers. I pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every mother here this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.